The mic, bro. Hold on to the mic. I'm going to get you to do a reading for me, man, if that's all right. Thank you very much. Good morning, brothers and sisters. In, in my parents' house, in my parents' house, there's a plaque. Now, I, can, I don't come from a Christian home, but like most Polynesian families, we're very religious. And so although we're very religious, definitely not Christian. But we have this plaque in our house. We have two sliding doors, and there's this plaque over this, uh, with, with the Bible verse on it. It's still there now. I remember it when we got it way, way back in the early 70s. It was a gift to us. I still remember that when we, that we got it. And for some reason, that was the symbol within our home of God. And so what would happen was when somebody would swear, when someone would do something wrong or something naughty, everybody in the family would point to the plaque and just go, ooh. And it still happens now. Now that we're, whenever we're back in New Zealand or wherever and somebody says something, everyone, like even when I was back there for my mum's funeral a couple of years ago, like we were talking and laughing, somebody dropped a swear word and then everybody just pointed at the plaque. It, was, it wasn't even one of my brothers or sisters, it was just one of our cousins. And we were all pointing going, ooh. And he's just like, it's just, it's just what happens, isn't it? That's so I thought that was really quite interesting how we associate things uh, automatically with what God is about or, or whoever God is. But what's interesting about that verse is it's taken from the book of Psalms. And so today, I actually want to share with you from the book of Psalms, specifically from Psalm 46. And the reason why I like Psalm 46 so much is because at the core of the psalm, irrespective of the context you find yourself in, at the core of the psalm, this psalm represents the fact that God is on our side. That's what makes this psalm so wonderful, that God is on our side. Oliver Cromwell, who was an amazing ruler way, way back when, one of his greatest thoughts when he was going into battle was when somebody said to him, God is on our side, to which his response was, any nation that goes to battle believes that God is on their side. It makes me wonder if anyone, if, whether God thinks anybody is on his side, which was a really interesting focus. I, I just got to grab one thing because for some reason, I don't know what's been happening with me lately, but I've been sweating profusely the last few weeks. So I've got a, a bit of a sweat cloth to help me out today. Uh, <laughs> Pardon? Oh, no, no, I'll, I'll leave the sweater on. But, uh, I'll leave the sweater on. It makes me look respectable. Um, but, this is, but this is the reality. So Psalm 46 is actually one of the psalms that is written by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were, according to a guy named Michael Armstrong, the doorkeepers. They were lowly servants who greeted people, kept things clean, sang and played music. So they were musos too. A number of the Psalms, 11 to be exact, that became part of the eternal word of God were written by these lowly, godly people. It was Korah's family. They served with a hunger for God, Psalm 84 too. They felt deep contentment in God's presence. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness, Psalm 84 verse 10. They had a continual habit of prayer that resulted in some of the most beautiful songs to be included in God's word. These are the sons of Korah. These are the people in which God used and shared with us 11 Psalms, which Psalm 46 is the one I'm going to share you with you today. You see, even though it's got nothing to do, see, verse 1 of Psalm 46, actually that whole Psalm's got nothing to do with language, got nothing to do with conduct. The whole focus is the greatness and majesty of God, irrespective of the context that you're in. And that's the reality I would like for you to take hold of today, that whatever issue you're facing, God is for you, not against you. That 
that, that because God is for you, not against you, you are, as the scriptures teach, more than conquerors in Christ. So I'm going to open a word of prayer, and let's go through the psalm together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the, the various people that you use to impart to us the wisdom and your truth, your heart to us as your, as your people. Pray this morning that as we look into your word today, you, by your spirit, will minister to each of us, irrespective of where we're at and what we're going through. Thank you for this reality that you are on our side and that you are our God, you are our Savior, and that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 46, and we're going to look at three divisions that are found within this psalm. And in each division, we're going to look at one specific point. The first division is found in the first three verses, where we read in Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Why do we fear? What is it that we are afraid of? We fear the unknown. We fear the uncertainty of things that lie before us. We fear the fact that we don't see and because we have a limited vision. If you have a look, we fear because we may not have enough or we may not be enough. We fear because the opposition that we face just seems too great or that might be too overwhelming for us as individuals. We fear because there are so many things beyond our control. We fear because we may experience loss, we may experience suffering, we may experience lack, we may experience pain. We fear for a number of different, different things. When you look at the greater picture of life, what is it that brings your heart to a place of fear? What causes you to be scared? One of the, one of the biggest things I'm fearful of in life is spiders. I don't know why, it's just, they're so ugly. I just, thank you for agreeing with me, Mel. But I, I don't like spiders. I, I never have. I think I watched too many horror movies growing up. Maybe that's the reason where it come from. But on a more serious note, I, I fear for my children's safety and well-being. I, I fear while my wife is in New Zealand with my son, I, I fear for them and for their safety over there. There's a number of different things that cause us to fear. For people that are looking for a job, as you reach the sort of twilight years of your life, you fear what's going to happen. I, I know for myself as... It comes along, well, when I go, I fear for my kids or I fear for various situations. I fear for a number of different things. But when you look at the description given here by the sons of Korah, what he uses is some amazing imagery regarding fear and, and what these things are, the, the foundation. See, we are faced with any number, one, any, any number of these factors in our lives. There might be a combination. There might be just one single thing. But... We are only ever concerned with it when it directly affects us. When it's something that just looks us dead in the face, realize we've got to have something to do with it. You see, any one of those factors can happen at any moment, at any time, at any day. But we don't worry about those things, do we? We worry about those things when it actually personally affects us as individuals. Uh, the case in point, um, there might be somebody, I remember reading this a while ago, there was somebody, they didn't really care about sort of traffic safety until 
a family member got hit by a car. Then traffic safety became a big issue. Does that make sense? Unless it affects us as individuals or directly connected to us, then we have something to say about it. But what you read here when the psalmist, or the sons of Korah, they speak of some of the most sound and stable things in the world falling apart. And when they fall apart, where do you go? They talk about, look there, though we fear the earth, the earth that gives way. You don't think about it, but the earth underfoot, we never think about. It's always there. It's always solid. It's always stable. You think about the mountains, which you might actually take shade in over time, or you sit down and you look at it as being immovable and, and being steadfast. You don't think that that could be moved. And yet, the sons of Korah write down, when the earth gives way, or the mountains be moved, those things in life that you consider to be steadfast and solid, what happens when they're not steadfast and solid anymore? When you look at water, the oceans and the seas, two-thirds of the planet are covered by water. You think of the oceans and they foam and they roar, and, and it doesn't matter how big something is, once a wave comes through, it can wash everything away. Everything that you work for can be taken away. Uh, do you guys remember the tsunami that happened? Uh, what year was that, 2005? 2004. Do you remember watching that video? watching the footage of when people were standing there, and it wasn't even, it just came in, and as it moved in closer and closer and closer, it wasn't moving very fast, but once it hit everything, what did it do? It wiped everything out. That's the power that the sea has, which is absolutely amazing. And so the sons of Korah sit there and say, so when the earth gives way, when the mountains are moved, when waters come through, where do you find your safety? Where do you find your refuge? Where do you find your shield? I am told by the sons of Korah in this psalm, not if, when these things give way, when these things are submerged, when these things turn against us, to whom do we turn? And that is in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We turn to God the word refuge means shelter or protection from danger or trouble, a place of safety, anything to which has a recourse for aid, relief, and escape. You'll notice in this definition that these words have nothing to say about stopping the issues. It has nothing to do with actually removing the trial. It's got nothing to do with that. It's a safety, it's a place of refuge, a place of safety within that. That's what this means here. It doesn't guarantee that your trouble will be removed. It means that our refuge is in Him as our Father and that our strength is gained by knowing His hand is present in our weakness. Our help is discovered in His direct presence and involvement with us. Now, what is the earth and the mountains in your life? Think about that for a second. What do we rely on or find our shelter in? What is it that we are so sure will be there that we will put all our trust into it and find it an, an, find it an immovable constant with us? It may be the fact that your family, your family will always be around. It may be that your earth might be your friends, your friends and the relationships you share. It might be your job and your regular paycheck. Perhaps 
Perhaps it might be the talents and skills that you've acquired or refined over time. It could be your cultural identity. It could be a number of things. Whatever it might be, all these things the Lord Jesus refers to in Matthew 7, verses 26 and 27, as sand. Sand that will be washed away. Things that can be, at some stage, eroded away through the busyness of life. And and you know this. And you know this. You know that for everything that we do, it is only ever temporary. We are told in the book of James that our life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. So then, if that's the reality of our life and what's laying ahead, where do you find your refuge? Where do you find your strength? Where do you find your place of safety and security? And we are told here that it has to be. It has to be God himself. You see, as parents, your kids, they'll grow up, and they'll move on, and it'll be you and your spouse. That's it. That's not a bad thing. Please don't get me wrong. That's not a bad thing. It's just what happens in life. Your job, you can lose that. You can lose your job. So why have your security in that? Your your car, that can be crashed. Just as a sort of curiosity, how many people have actually had a car crash? Uh, how many people had a car crash and it was your fault? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. One more question. How many people had a car crash and it wasn't your fault? No, legitly, Terry. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so you see what I mean? We have these things in which we hold on to, but you can, you can crash your car. You, even your lives you cannot attain and hold on to for longer than this life. That, that's it. So where do you find your refuge? Where do you find your strength? So we are told here, if God is our refuge and strength, then it doesn't matter if the earth gives way. It doesn't matter if the mountains tremble. It doesn't matter if the seas roam, roar and foam. It doesn't matter. Why? Because you are found in this place of safety. The place of safety that is found in God and God alone. That's, we are, that's where we are to be. That is the safest place to be. So, if God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is directly involved with each of our lives, um, the faithfulness of God's plan as reflected in Jesus Christ and confirmed by the Holy Spirit, that is the safest place to be. I remember a a brother shared that. He said, the safest place to be, no matter where you are, is within the will of God. That is the safest place to be. Why? Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. That is the God who has our refuge, our very present help in trouble. I like this word present. It means it's not future, it's not past. He is your present help in trouble. He is there now. That is where your help is found. And this is why this first point, this first section, focuses on the protection of God. God is on our side and we experience His protection. And you may not think you experience it. You may not think that God is involved. He is. He's working His will within your life, irrespective of the context. 
That's the first point, the protection of God. The second section is verses 4 to 7. Now, I just want to, I think I've missed the point. No? Okay. And moving from God's protection, it is explained direct connection with this next point. There's a direct connection to the next point. And that's found in verses 4 to 7, which says this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, the sons of Korah speak of a river that makes glad the city of God. But this is not a literal river. Okay? This is not a little, it's not referring to a literal river because the city of God or Jerusalem was not built near a river. Okay, I think I've got a picture there. There. So you've got the River Jordan there. Apparently, the River Jordan is, uh, according to Google Maps, it's like a day's walk. So I just typed in Google Maps, sort of went Jerusalem, River Jordan. And it's like a, it's a, day, it's a day's walk to get to the River Jordan. So when he sits here and speaks about a a river whose streams make glad the city of God, what sort of river is he referring to? The river that he's referring to is that of spiritual blessing. He's making reference to a, a river of spiritual blessing. It's a river that brings joy and happiness to the city. Spiritual blessing that comes from being connected with and the presence of the Most High God. In Psalm 36.8, we read this, The feast of the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delight. Um, Isaiah thirty-three twenty-one. But there the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams where no galley with oars can go, nor majestic ship can cross. This verse in Isaiah stresses the reality of this sort of happiness isn't attained through human effort. He's talking about that you can't get it with a dinghy, rowing with a paddle. You can't get it in a luxury liner, it can't be attained that way. All you can do is, yeah, you can try your hardest, but you will always fall short. In times of trouble, true joy or true happiness or gladness can't be attained by trying harder or by putting more effort into it. It's a place that is beyond human capacity to attain whether through the basic effort, like I said, of a dinghy with a paddle, ignoring, denying, or wishing for the best, or the complex means of a luxury ocean liner, which would be like psychiatric or psychological help, or the power of positive thinking. Uh, if you imagine, or if you examine the psalmist's description, you take note of the references that bring gladness in the midst of trouble. And there are seven things in this that you find. The things that bring you gladness in the midst of trouble is one, it's the place of God's habitation. Two, it's a place that God dwells in the midst of. Three, it's the place that God makes immovable. It's the place that God helps. It's the place that God speaks into and on behalf of. It's the place in whom God is with. And seven, the place whereby God is their fortress. This is the place of habitation. This is the joy, should I say, the spiritual blessing that is given to you. The greatest of joys for the people of God is found in the presence of God himself. This is something we know and we so often forget 
or relegate to a lesser importance when things hit us. But our ability to see what is in front of us correctly begins with seeing where God is in relation to us. And the seven things of the psalm that lays out these seven truths that bring gladness are seven truths that bring gladness to us who are in Christ. These are the promises that have been given to us in Jesus himself. For example, in God's habitation, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says what? It says that the Spirit of God dwells within us, that we are the temple of God's Spirit. That God is in the midst of, we are told in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, that we are in a position of security and held firmly in the palm of his hand. The fact that God makes us immovable is that we're whom he helps, I'm sorry, that he sends a helper. I've got my mistakes up. Well, sorry, we are in a position of security now. Sorry, we are immovable. Matthew 18, 20, there. I've got that mixed up. That God is in the midst of, we are told that where two or three are gathered, where two or three are gathered in his name, he dwells in the midst of them. Then we are told we are immovable, that we are in his hand that no one can pluck, pluck out. In John 14, 16, we are told we are given the helper. He gives us his helps. In Matthew 10, 19, we are told we are given the words to speak. The fact that God is with us, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And seven, that we are given power. These seven things are realities that we can take hold of. So you have to ask yourself, why don't I? Why don't I understand or experience these spiritual blessings in the person of Christ? I want you to think about something. If the first aspect is the protection of God and the second aspect is due to the presence of God, why then do we find it so difficult to live the lives that he has called us to live? Why is it that I, I know for myself, why is it that I struggle at times or do I find myself going through the motions or why is it that that I feel like I am so inadequate in so many ways, which I am and I'm not denying that. And I think it comes down to this, that I don't understand Who is on my side? I think that's all it comes down to. How many of you, I I know as a father, I know as a father, I used to play, I know it's always sports illustrations with me, but my dad was a very talented sportsman. And he played first grade football until he was 47 years old, so the age I am now. He was still playing first grade football back in New Zealand. Now I found, when I started playing football, my dad would often be on the sideline and he he would give me advice. He would give me advice, and he would encourage me along. Now, at the point that it happened, I realize now, at the point it happened, I thought it was being critical. At the point where you sit down and says, son, you need to keep an eye on this. Son, you need to do this. Son, you need to do this. And at the time, I thought he was being critical. What I understood now, as an old man, is that he was on my side, and he was trying to encourage me to be the best and do the best I could in the context of what I was doing. Does that make sense? Now, the reason why I don't understand the protection of God, the presence of God, or understand the fact that God is on my side, is that I forget that He wants me to be the best I can be for His glory. He is encouraging me as a loving father encourages his son to do the best he can, to do the best I can, to be the best I can. And He is on my side. We have to understand, He is on my side encouraging me to step out there and trust in Him. And I think that's what we forget. 
the fact that we have all of these truths laid out before us so we can step out with God on our side. As I shared before, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who has made us more than conquerors to step out. If, if we can get a grasp of that, then the life that we live will not be so much centered around ourselves, but to fulfill His heart, His desire, and His purpose. See, this is the importance of the second point from the psalm, that all we experience from the protection of God is only because the presence of God in our lives, that we can cry, Abba, Father, that He is directly involved with us. And because the presence of God is with us, we are partakers of this final point, which is found in verses 6 to 10. He says, actually, I forgot, I gave you, I left you the mic to read, but I completely forgot to ask you to read. Do you want to read this one for us, bro? Please, sorry. Psalm 46, verses 8 to 10. fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In the midst of hardship, whereby the protection of God is experienced, the presence of God is felt, we are given the encouragement of he who established the stars in their place and set the universe in order is also revealing his power and authority to us as well. Uh, Have you ever seen have you ever seen something that you've wanted somebody else to see? Have you ever watched something and thought, man, I want to do this? My kids do this for me where they watch something on YouTube and they like, oh, dad, have a look at this. And I have a look at it and I have a laugh. And then I'll go, hey, look at this. And they'll look at it and go, that's not funny, dad. That's pretty much what happens. Okay? But whenever you've wanted to actually do something, you've, like, you've gone out and you want to show someone. You've come to know what Jesus is like and you, you want to tell people about Jesus. You become a parent. You want to tell people you become a parent. You've got a new job. You want to tell people you've got, a, you, you've got a new job. You are told here at the beginning of this, come, behold. Behold. I, I like that. Behold the works of the Lord. Behold. Behold means to to take note of. Behold means to stop and examine. Behold means, hey, listen up. I've got something to show you. Behold his works. Why? Because what he's done. He's brought desolations on the earth. Behold his authority, for he makes wars to cease. Behold his power, for he breaks the bow and shadows the spear. Behold it. Behold his person, for he is God, and he will be exalted among the nations. The scriptures are full of accounts wherein the power and authority of God is manifest. Regardless of the context of his people, regardless of what situation they faced, the power of God is evident in the lives of people, whether it was the apostles, whether they were in prison being beaten for proclaiming the gospel, like Paul and Silas in Acts 16, whether, whether, actually, whether it be Daniel who got thrown into a lion's den for, for honoring his God in Daniel chapter 6, whether it was Elijah who stood in the face of, of King Ahab which caused him to run away and hide with the widow of Zarephath in in 1 Kings 17. Regardless of the context faced by God's people, his power and his authority was revealed in each circumstance. You read through the Scriptures. You look, and, and if you can, recount in your own life when you read through the Scriptures the amount of times God revealed his power at work. You think about that. 
And each of these people experienced God's refuge and present help in the times of trouble. Even though it may not have occurred to them at the time, God was there doing his work. And I know I've used this before. For example, Joseph. So Joseph, when he was in the hole at Dothan, I guarantee you he would have been praying and asking God what's going on. But God was doing something. When he was sold to slavery as a, and, and, and to, by, by his own family, by his own brothers, he would have been praying. And he might have thought, God's not listening. But God was doing something. When he was a, a servant in Potiphar's house and being harassed by Potiphar's wife, then he gets put in prison. And in prison, he would have prayed and said, Lord, what's going on? God, what are you doing? And, 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 not, and sort of wonder what's happening. Well, God was doing something. In each one of those situations, he found God as his refuge, and it didn't happen immediately. It didn't happen. It wasn't just like, bang, bang, there you go. It's all, it's all taken care of. No, it was over time where only when you look back in hindsight, you see God's direct hand at work in each one of those situations. Look at your own life. There might be issues going on in your life where you've gone through stuff and you've cried out to God and saying, God, I don't feel like you're answering me. God, what's, what's happening? God, what's going on? God hears you. God desires you to trust him, that you might find your refuge and help in him at that present time. Why? Because although it may not happen for you, it's happened for you immediately, God's doing something. Something that you can look back in hindsight and say, I recognize God's hand at work. I see what God was doing. See, this is the work of here. This Come, behold the works of the Lord. What works can you lay account to in your life? What can you testify to? One of the greatest things I enjoy here at church is when people come up here and share a testimony of what God's doing. Why? Because what you're doing are the first few words of that verse. You are saying, come, behold the work of the Lord in my life. When Carla came up and shared, was it last week? Or the week before? Two weeks ago. When Carla came up and shared two weeks ago. Jolene came up and shared two weeks ago. We had Uncle Ben, Pastor Ben come up and share. We've had, we've had so many people come up here and share what God is doing. You know what you're saying? You're saying, come, behold the works of the Lord. That's what you're doing. It's always the greatest encouragement to see what God is teaching you and what God is taking you through. See, regardless of the context faced by every situation within the Scriptures, God was there working His work, doing what He is doing for the glory of His name and for the blessing of His people. Come, behold the works of the Lord. And you see this all through the Scriptures as well. For once the works of the Lord are beholding, a beholden, shall I say, then the following takes place. The charge to be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and behold. The Lord will empty myself. Sorry, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. Isaiah 24:1. Be still and behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. Be still, and, for, and behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might. We live in such a fast-paced society today where, for example, I, I, don't, I don't commute to the city. I, I, how many people commute to the city here? Yeah, that's, it's crazy. Like, 
I, I've, I've only caught in the train or the bus from the city like a handful of times during peak hour. It's ridiculous. Just everybody's in a rush. Everybody's moving so quick. Everybody's bumping into people. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I remember listening to something on, on um, Andrew and, and Adam's podcast about, about um, footpath etiquette. And, and, and stuff, and I remember them talking about like who gives way when you're walking, and, and they got all these tricks and stuff. So, which just shows that they're really rude and what they do. But, but it's really quite fascinating. Everybody's in such a move, all move like in a rush all the time. It, it, it's absolutely crazy. It's insane. And so when I went back to New Zealand, it's very slow. New Zealand's like a country town. Like downtown Auckland is like downtown Barrel. If you've ever been to Barrel. Barrel, Barrel is like, like I got told one, when we first moved down to Barrel, I got told, oh, it's late night tonight. Oh, things closed at six. And I thought, well, okay, that was different. But Barrel is so, so, so when I'm back to New Zealand, everything's so just laid back and easy. And I'm not saying I'm going to be laid back, but I made a point that when I came back, I'm not going to get caught up in the rush of what Sydney is. And I hear that like in over in Malaysia and Singapore and Hong Kong, it's even faster than here. That's insane. Because I think here is crazy. But, but sometimes, sometimes the best thing to do in the busyness of what's going on through the hardships, through the struggles, through the challenges that you face, sometimes the best thing to do is take a step back. Take a step back. Do what the psalmist says. Be still just to be still, to quiet your heart, quiet your spirit before the Lord and know that He is God. You know what that means? That means to know who is in charge, to know who is in control, to know and behold in Him who is sovereign. That's what I think is absolutely amazing. Behold, for this is our God. He who calls us to be still, to lay aside the distractions, the struggles, the mistakes, the failures, and to take some time to just dwell in the presence of God. Sometimes that's the most refreshing times, just to let everything go. And I've done this. I've done this in the midst of hardship, just gone into the garage, got on my knees, and just cried. Cried out to the Lord just poured out my heart before the Lord about how I'm feeling. And you know what's amazing about that? That's just God desires you to be honest with Him, to recognize. I think that's the, the worst thing at all. Like we, we were in front of one another. We like to put on masks. We like to put on, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And your world's falling apart. Sometimes just to get before the Lord and just say, oh, Lord, and, and just weep or or pour out your soul and just let God know how you're feeling. To ask God questions, to, to ask God to answer, to ask God for help. And what's amazing is, this, is that God is not afraid of your questions. He is not afraid. He is big enough to handle those. We looked at that a few weeks ago when we looked at complaints, when we looked at questions. When God answers, He's not afraid of those things. What He desires us is to come before Him honestly and say, Lord, I need it's in these times when we slow down a little. It's in these times where we take stock of where we are spiritually in relation to, to Him. It, it, it's in those times we are refreshed in His presence. For in His presence, there is power. 
in his presence there is protection. In his presence there is peace. So it's time for us to be still and allow the Lord to minister to us his power. So, you're probably wondering who this is. Um, thank you very much for that, Uncle Eugene. You know who that is? Who is that, Uncle Eugene? Oh, I thought you said Fanny Crosby. That's exactly who it is, if that's what you thought. <laughs> Barry Gibb. No, that's, that's not Barry Gibb. It does look like Barry Gibb. This, okay. See, I, I don't know what you're going through. I thought, he said Barry, I thought he said Fanny Crosby. He said Barry Gibb, one of the Bee Gees. Okay. Look, the thing I like about this psalm is the encouragement is for us to know that God is on our side. This is Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was a great hymn writer. She wrote over 8,000 hymns. She became blind at six years old. And at six years old, she had a love and, a, and an appreciation and gratitude for her Savior. She wrote basically six to seven hymns a day, is what she wrote, all to express her heart on how much she loved her Savior. She wrote these hymns. Uh, these are just a, a small, you'll probably recognize these, all the uncles and aunties. He wrote, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. That's, that's a great hymn. If you know that hymn, it's, it's one of my favorites. Um, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through has been my, who's a great, has been, who's been my guide? Um, it's, it's an amazing hymn. Uh, Sweet Hour of Prayer, she wrote that. Uh, Jesus, keep me near the cross, there a precious fountain, she wrote that. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, my blessed Redeemer, she wrote that. To God be the glory, great things he has done, she wrote that. Uh, these are... Just a handful, 8,000 hymns she wrote. And what's amazing is this. She understood that God was on her side because, I like this quote, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank Him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. This is a, a woman whose heart was captivated, captivated by the sheer goodness and beauty of the Lord, which was followed by this, and I think this is one of the best quotes I've heard. Once a preacher sympathetically remarked, I think it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. She replied quickly, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I should be born blind? Why? asked the surprised minister. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. That's, this is a woman who understood who was for her. This is a woman that was captivated, who understood that God is her refuge and her strength, a very present help in time of trouble. This was a woman who understood the protection of God, the presence of God, and the power of God. And we look and we, we are like, we're like the minister. We're like, oh, that's a shame that God allowed this to happen to you. When for her to look at us would be like, I feel sorry for you that you don't share the intimacy and the joy of my Savior that I do. See, the riches that, that our God holds for us are held within His very presence. It's held within us 
knowing him, what richness was discovered by this saint in the midst of such trial? What blessedness of relationship was experienced in the difficulty of her disability? And yet in this, she experienced the peace that passes all understanding. The power was manifest because she was in the presence of her Savior continually. And in turn, experienced the protection of God against doubt, despair, self-pity, and self-loathing. She skipped out on all of that because she knew her Savior. Now we look at this saint, this Barry Gibb lookalike apparently. We look at this saint and we think, oh, that's amazing that she could be in such a way. That doesn't escape from us, brothers and sisters. This is attainable for us. That the Savior invites us to the same relationship that Francis Fanny Crosby shared. That the relationship that we read about that the sons of Korah had as these lowly, godly men, that these musos that ministered within the temple, that they experienced too and their heart was gladdened. That's what we can experience. That when you look at the relationship with people, whether it be Paul the Apostle, whether it be Jeremiah the prophet, whether it be Elijah or Joshua, whether it be Moses who was the friend of God, whether it was Abraham that's called out, all of that is made available to us right here, right now. That we are invited to that same relationship. That we are invited to that same intimate level of friendship that these saints experienced. Why? Because the theme of Psalm 46 is that God is on our side. God is there for us. God desires us to come to Him. And we have been given, I think, we've been given the greatest of accesses to Him in Jesus Christ. That we are not limited by location, we are not limited by a priest, a human priest. We are not limited by context. We are not limited by race. We are not limited by wealth or employment or social status. We are not limited by any, anything like that because we are given complete access because of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. Because of Christ, God is on our side and we experience His protection. Because of Christ, God is on our side and we have His very presence within us that because of Christ we know the power of God because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation because of Christ now my challenge to you before I close in prayer my challenge is to you is to don't be content with just going through the motions don't be content and leaving it till a Sunday to open your Bible and get into the Word. Don't be content and just doing what you're doing and getting by. Don't be content with that. If our God gives us this invitation to come behold the works of the Lord, then let's pray and ask our God to reveal those works to us, to be involved in His work and see the amazing things He does through so I'm not going to invite the music team up. I'm just going to pray. Um, as I pray, can I ask the prayer team to come up as well? I would like to pray. Uh, so, look, we sang some amazing, I really do thank 
the, the music team this morning, that song about surrender, if surrender, I think, is, is really appropriate now for us. And if you want to come forward and, 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 and pray about surrendering, pray about giving, doing away with the distractions, doing away with all those things, the mistakes and all that sort of, just doing away with all those, coming up and saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. Start today. And that it might be real and it might be practical in your everyday life. So as I pray, I'll get the prayer team to come up. Um, and if you want to be prayed for, you come up too. Okay, you come up too. I'll just close in prayer now and then we'll call it, uh, and then we'll uh, head off into afternoon tea. So if you just want to bow your heads and the music, uh, prayer team can come up. Father, we, uh, we thank you. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the encouragement of Psalm 46. We thank you that you are a God that is on our side, that you are for us, not against us, that in Christ we are more than conquerors. Thank you that we experience, because of Jesus Christ, your protection, your presence, and your power. Thank you that we, as your people, have the privilege to not only be renewed and, and made new creatures, but to live for you and from you. I pray, Father, that we as your people would examine seriously about where we're at in our relationship with you. There would be more than just going through the motions. There would be more than just content and sitting in a pew and, and listening and, and then living the week for ourselves. Father, I pray you will stir our hearts to surrender every aspect of our lives over to you that we in turn will make a difference for your kingdom, will make a difference in the world around us, will make a difference because we shine as lights for the Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask that you will have your way with us, that your will will be, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For you are God, you are King, and you are our friend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, if you want to be prayed for, please.